2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from our God and our Father the Lord, and the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know if that sounds familiar to any of you or not, but Paul's greeting to the church in Thessalonica and 2 Thessalonians is almost identical to the same one he sent in his first letter. So let's go back real quick to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, look at verse 1. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. It's almost word for word. Yet, as you're going to see, he's also going to follow a similar pattern where he begins to thank God for them because of their faith growing and their love for each other. Look at verses, uh, verse, uh, verses 3 and 4. He says, We ought also to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly, and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are doing, enduring. Now, to help you out, as you know, Paul, we're going to go back and look at something in Acts 18 in a second, but in Acts 16, 17, in that area there, he, he actually was on missionary journey, and he went to Thessalonica. And the church was started there. But because of persecution, they were kind of run out of town. They went to Berea. But while they were in Berea, the Thessalonians, the bad ones, came and chased them out of Berea. And then they ended up here, and they ended up in Athens. And then Paul went on to Corinth. But while they were in Athens, Paul sends Timothy back to go check on the church in Thessalonica, sends Silas, that's Silvanus, sends Silas back to go check on the church in Philippi. And 1 Thessalonians was written because Paul was really concerned as to whether or not the church had made it. He was only there a brief period of time. He had definitely seen what he thought was evidence of real salvation. But because of the persecution, and as we're going to touch on tonight, there are those who claim to be Christians, but when trouble comes, they fall away. And he hadn't been there long enough to see how they had done. So he had sent Timothy, and Timothy had now come back. And he wrote 1 Thessalonians from, from Corinth after Timothy had come back and given a report. And so because of that, he was excited. They were making it. They were, their salvation was real. And actually, he was also concerned because those false prophets and those people that were chasing him all over were saying bad things about Paul. And he didn't know if they were believing the lies about him. And he found out that they didn't. They loved Paul and they looked forward to seeing him again sometime. And so 1 Thessalonians dealt with that, touched on a few things about the return and encouraging each other about the rapture and all that. But 2 Thessalonians was written only a few months later. We don't know exactly how soon, but most likely just a few months later, because somehow, some way, Paul had gotten word from Thessalonica about some other things that had come up since his first letter. And we don't really know how he got this information, but we know that he did. Go to uh, Acts chapter 18 real quick, and I'll just kind of set the stage for what I guess kind of laid out to you. And then I'm going to show you how... We're, how we understand that what we have in 2 Thessalonians came from some source. In Acts chapter 18, look at verses 1 through 5. After this, Paul left Athens, left Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. Now, when Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, that's where Thessalonians 
Thessalonica and Philippi are. Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. So, as I touched on, he had sent them back to go check on him, and they had just come back and met him in Corinth and given the report. Now, jump over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verses 1 and 2 to kind of remind you of why we, on why we had 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians 3 verses 1 and 2. Paul says, Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, while we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone, we sent Timothy, our brother, and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ to establish and exhort you in your faith. And then he goes on that no one be moved by these afflictions. So they had sent Timothy back. Timothy came back. If you were to keep reading in verse 6 of chapter 3 of 1 Thessalonians, now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought the good news of your faith and love, and the reporter that you remember is kindly long to see us as we long to see you. So Paul got the information about 1 Thessalonians from Timothy. But now something has happened. Some, somehow, some way, word has gotten to Paul in Corinth Soon after the first letter, that there were some more issues that had arisen. Go to first, Second Thessalonians chapter two, and look at verses uh, one and following. Verses one and two. Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to Him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us, to the effect that the day of the Lord. Has come. So obviously, now they're finding out that somebody has written a letter, supposedly coming from Paul, saying that the day of the Lord's already come and they're in the day of the Lord. We'll deal with all of that when we get to chapter two. But Paul had gotten word that they had been deceived and they were confused about the day of the Lord. Plus, also go to chapter three of 2 Thessalonians and look at verse 11. For we hear. That some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busybodies. Again, we'll deal with the context of that and the whole issue of all that when we get there. But I just point these things out to you to show you from the context, into internal context of 2 Thessalonians, between the writing of the first letter and the writing of the second letter, somehow word had gotten to Paul that there was this false letter from him, and also they had heard about some of the issues that were happening in the church. And so Paul felt the need to write another letter real quickly back to the church to deal with it. Now, I kind of do that stuff in what I do as I travel around and help churches. There have been times that I literally have, I, a couple years ago, I was preaching at a church and helping a church in New Jersey where I just came back from, but I was helping them in a pastor search at that time, three or four years ago. While I was there, I got word from some in the church, in a church I work with in Michigan, that they were having an issue, a serious enough issue that they said, we need your help. And I literally had to jump on an airplane from New Jersey, fly to Michigan, deal with an issue there, because they consider me one of their elders, and we dealt with the issue, and then I got back on the plane, flew back to New Jersey, and continued what I was doing there. Paul didn't have that benefit right now. As, but when he gets word, sometimes he'll make a trip, but it's not easy, and other times he would write a letter and send it with people to get there, because he had apostolic authority to deal with issues. So what the issues are, we'll see as we study Second Thessalonians. But look again at what he also does here. 
Again, I don't know how much you remember about 1 Thessalonians, but it's almost identical with the pattern from his first letter. We ought always, verses 3 and 4, to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly, and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and in faith and all your persecutions in the afflictions that you're enduring. Go back with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and look at verses 2 through 6 and tell me how this doesn't, that this doesn't sound similar. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith, your labor of love, steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that He's chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction, with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we not, need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. So, Paul says, we've heard of your faith, we've heard of your love, and actually we don't need to brag on you, because word's already spread about what God's done through you. In his second letter... He follows that same pattern and he says we give thanks to God because your faith is growing and the love of everyone for one another is increasing. And therefore we do brag about you. We're actually back then in the first letter, he said we don't need to brag because word spread. A few months later, he says, you know what? We can't help it. We're bragging on you as well. What's going on there is real. Listen, even in the midst of much persecution, even in the midst of much suffering, and again, because I don't know how much of us we remember 1 Thessalonians, when he says, we thank God that your faith is growing and your love for each other is growing, he's actually acknowledging that what they had prayed for them in the first letter is actually happening. Go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, sorry, chapter uh, 3, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 12. 1 Thessalonians 3.12, May the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. 1 Thessalonians 4, 9 and 10, Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need to anyone to write to you, for you, you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you're doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. And now what does he say in his second letter? We ought to give thanks to God for you. Verse 3 of chapter 2 Thessalonians 1, We ought to always give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly, and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and your faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you're enduring. Now, I'm going to ask you a question tonight, and I don't want you to answer out loud, and I don't want you to raise your hands. Paul says, we're bragging to the other churches in the area about what God's doing in your church. I know we, a lot of us here don't go to this church. We go to other churches. Could God brag about what God's doing in your church? Could, do, do people actually say? Now, I, I'm not talking numbers. Take it from someone who had cancer. 
Just because something's growing fast doesn't mean you're healthy. I'm saying, could you really brag about what God's doing? As I travel around, as you know, I get lots of contacts from people around the country who say, I have a friend or a relative, and they've just moved to somewhere in Ohio, somewhere here or there, and they'll call me or they'll email me and they'll say, Jim, in your travels, do you know of any good churches in this area? And a lot of times I do because I travel. But other times I'll say no, but I know people in those areas and I'll make a phone call and see. And I look for churches to recommend. I have people that move into this area and they always ask me, what churches in this area do you recommend? And let me say something to you. I'm not going to tell you what, who they are because I'm not going to get you mad because it might not be your church. But there are churches that I say, you know what? God's doing something real there. And there are some churches I would actually recommend people to go to. Is your church such all right, let's make it easier. Forget your church. What about you? Could anybody point you out as an example of someone who's growing in their faith and in their love for one another? Because that's honestly, if you notice, that's all Paul ever prayed for. If you ever notice when Paul wrote to a church, he never said how many you're running. He didn't say what's your attendance. He didn't say what's your offerings. Are you guys meeting budget? Paul said, I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love for one another. And here's my prayer for you, that you'll grow in your faith and your knowledge of the Lord and you'll grow in love for each other. And that's all he cared about because that's real growth. What about you? Are you growing in your faith? Because we're going to talk tonight about endurance. We're going to talk about the need for endurance. So you can raise your hands here because I think we all need to see this. How many of you, and I'm going to join with you in answering this question, have gotten a little bit weary in these days with what's going on in the globe, with what's going on in our country, what's going on around. How many of you have gotten, <laughs> Allison's already got two up there. Look around. We all have. Tonight, you're going to see as Paul deals with this, we're going to talk about endurance. But endurance is not hanging on. Endurance, biblically, is actually growing in faith and love during this time. Not just making it through. You've heard me say enough. I'm tired of asking Christians, how you doing? And they say, hanging in there. Doing the best I can. And the prophet in me sometimes slips out when people say that. And I'll ask them, does God give you the Holy Spirit so that you could do the best you could? Or that you could do the best he could? And so tonight I'm going to ask you again and again, let the spirit begin to work in your heart, because as much as we want to get to chapter two and we want to move into Jesus return and the Antichrist and all the timing of all this stuff. And we will. We could miss the whole point of being ready for his return because he's looking to see our faith grow and our love grow. Uh, many of us have been taught too much to measure numbers the church has been taught to measure numerical growth and to see that see, we see that as growth. And that's not the measurement. And I believe, honestly, personally and biblically, if a church is healthy, it will grow. But at the same time, if it's really healthy, God will keep sending people out from that church. So every time you think you get to a place, God, don't be surprised if God doesn't all of a sudden have people getting serious in their walk and become missionaries or go into ministry of some sort, or God moves them for whatever his purposes are because they've learned what he wants them to learn in that congregation. And now he's going to put them somewhere else and go be a blessing to some other congregation. And we've been taught to measure numerical growth. No, I'm asking, are you growing in your faith in the Lord during these days and your love for each other? Or are you just barely getting by. 
And only you and the Lord can answer that. Go ahead. As a pressure builds, it should be easier to see people who need help. And are what Glenn said is this. He says, as the pressure builds, it should be easier to see people that what? Are burdened and need help, definitely. But at the same time, it also should be easier to see those of us who are really walking in the spirit. I mean, as it gets darker, it gets easier and easier to shine as a light, right? It's kind of hard to shine as a light in a light area. But if it's dark, shining as light is not hard. So, and we're going to get into a little bit of that tonight as well, Glenn. So hang on to that. Also, as in Paul's first letter, he points out that they were such a great example of faith and love that he bragged on them. And he used them as another example. But, and then he said this, in the midst of much persecution. That came, he said that in his first letter, second letter. We have this mentality where we think, man, if we just get the right people in office, you know, and we get so focused on all that kind of stuff. We can just we can make America great again and we can just do that, that all of a sudden everything will be fine. Folks, listen to me as you're going to see in a passage of scripture tonight. The scriptures say very clearly that evil and imposters are going to grow from bad to worse. Things are not going to get better in this world. If God is the same God yesterday, today and forever, and he is a judgment Unless there is a massive revival, which I don't see in the Bible, in, in the scriptures. A judgment is coming on our nation. As one preacher put it years ago, if he doesn't judge America, he'll have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. We're headed down a road that's going to get crazier and more and more nuts. And, and to be honest, can anybody tell me how the election's going to go this year? We don't even know if we're going to even have any candidates. One could be in jail. The other one might be, he's old. We don't know. <laughs> Let's be honest. They, both, they could both be in jail. We don't know. What? They, I don't think they'll be sharing the same cell. But <laughs> let me just say this to you. We don't know things. But that's actually why we who have the truth, who know the Lord, should be focusing on what he's told us to focus on in these days. Him. Growing to know him more, trusting in him more, letting that love that he has for us seep in enough that it just splashes out on the people around us and let God do what he's going to do and the timing, what God's going to do and let God pick who's going to be. Should we be involved in the process? Yes, we've been given that responsibility and we've been given that privilege and we should pray and we should vote accordingly. Yet at the same time, we've got to be faithful and let God be God. Because the Bible is real clear that he determines who's in power. Now, with all that, let's go over to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 5 through 12. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God, for which you are also suffering. Since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and excuse me, from the glory of his might, when he comes on that day to be glorified 
delight in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. To this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and make fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Too much in here for us to unpack tonight, and we're only going to deal with verse 5. We're going to touch on a couple of things in verses 11 and 12 in a little bit near the end, but mainly we're going to just deal with verse 5. When we come back next week, we will dive into, because there's something here in this passage that a lot of people don't see, but there's a, in this whole section, Paul's dealing with what God's doing now, and he transitions to what he's going to do when Jesus comes back, and you have to see the distinction between the two, which we're going to deal with next week. All right, so let's spend a little time in verse 5. Their steadfastness in the faith was in the midst of what? Suffering and persecution. Their steadfastness in their faith in the midst of persecution is evidence of their true salvation. Again, look at verse 4. Therefore we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are doing, enduring. So they weren't just being persecuted for their faith. Tied to the persecution for their faith was actual afflictions. Anybody want to take any wild guesses what some of those were? Some of them were beatings. Others were losing their property. They were losing their homes. They were losing their jobs. They weren't just being persecuted. They were being afflicted. And let me say something to you. Can't promise that we won't be going down those roads ourselves in, in the days and years to come. I've told my kids over the years, you do realize because your dad believes every word of this book that one day your dad may end up in jail. By the way, the more that my messages go out on the airwaves, Internet and whatever, the more people are going to hear that I say certain things are still sin, even though the world tries to say they're not. And one day I may be arrested for saying what the Bible says is sin because the world says you can't call it sin anymore. That's hate speech. There'll be persecution, but there'll also be affliction. Go to 1 Peter chapter 1. First Peter chapter 1, look at verses 3 through 9. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And we're going to let that maybe some more next week. But for night, look at verse 6. In this you rejoice. We rejoice in the fact that our salvation is secure and it's held, kept by God for us, right? In this we rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, 
the salvation of your souls. The outcome of our faith, it should not be a better marriage. The outcome of our faith should not be a better job or a better income. The outcome of our faith should be the salvation of our souls. We should be living in these days with a mindset of the world to come. That we are looking for that. We're not mass amassing it here. We're not storing it up here. We're sharing it as God tells us to because we're not living for here. And as you've heard me say before, if you're not afraid of death, Satan has nothing on you. He's got nothing on you. What are you going to do? Kill me? That puts me in the front of the line. I spoke this a couple weeks ago in, in January at a senior adult luncheon up in New Jersey. They call it Sage. And they invite all these senior adults in the area to come to this church and have a big, nice lunch. And they have a speaker. And some of them are believers from the church and others are from the neighborhood. And so I know that as I'm speaking to this group in this gymnasium of this church, that some are believers, some aren't. And as I got up there, I was the whippersnapper. I'll be turning 59 in March, but I was the whippersnapper. And as I started, I told them all, I'm a little bit jealous of you all. And they're looking at me like, what do you mean you're jealous of us? You're the young guy. I'm like, when I go to a roller coaster park, and I love roller coasters, and there's a long line, I'm jealous of the people who are at the front of the line. Because they're about to get on the ride. And some of you are about to get on the ride. Some of you are about to get to what you've been in line waiting for. Are you not? I mean, let's be honest. People say, you, the kids are going, Dad, do you like getting old? I love it. Because I say it every time. I'm a day closer to heaven. It's real. Now, again, I'm not suicidal. But I long for that day when I get to be to the front of the line. That will help you live in this life. One day, I'll be there. The line's hard sometimes. And it, every time you think you're there, all of a sudden you get a zigzag back. Anybody experienced that one over the years? I've had a couple of times I thought, I'm there. Oh, maybe not. Got to come and stay in line a little longer. I'm there. Oh, not yet. We rejoice in the fact that our salvation is secure. But we also should learn to rejoice in our suffering. Because God is using it to prove our faith genuine. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Look at verses 10 through 16. 2 Timothy 3, verses 10 through 16. You, however, Paul says, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped 
for every good work. Now, we all know verse 16 pretty well, don't we? We've heard that said to us many times. But I'm going to ask you, how many of you, not looking for a show of hands tonight, how many of you have ever had verse 16 tied to the full context of what Paul's saying here? What Paul's saying is this. He goes, you guys have watched my life, my my, my aim, my, my, the purpose of why I'm living, my conduct among you, my, the persecutions, the suffering I've been through. And then he starts listing some of, but it seems like, did you go through that everywhere you went, Paul? Yeah, pretty much. There was one time that God said to him, you know what, I'm going to give you a little bit of rest from the persecution and suffering and you're going to have peace for about three years. But that was about the only break he really had. But then he goes on and he says this, and you need the word of God in order to live like this. I want you to listen closely because we need to hear this. God doesn't want you to have a three by five card on your mirror every morning as you brush your teeth or shave that says, you're gonna be okay. Or just some kind of positive mental attitude. You need the word of God. Because that's the only thing that is going to really take effect on your heart and your soul. Uh, you can hear all the rah-rah stuff you ever, you ever needed. And you might even get rah-rah, cheered up and inspired by a speaker or whatever at some moment. Bust the doors open saying, we're going to go live for the Lord. How long did that last? Yeah, not too long. Till the next trouble or whatever. Till you got to the parking lot and found out your tire was flat. The word, and this is important, I'm going to show you this. The word of God and each other is what God has designed to help us endure, which means growing in our faith in the Lord and in our love for each other. We need that in a day in which our natural tendency as things get harder is to isolate, to kind of kind of get control over what we can and try to keep our, all the rest of that junk out. God says, fight that. And spend time loving each other more and growing in your faith. But the word of God is the only thing that's really going to help in that. I'm going to jump ahead in my notes and then come back to them in a little bit. Go to Romans chapter 15. Because I really feel like it needs to kind of hit now. And we'll come back to where God wanted me in just a second. Go to Romans 15. Look at verses 4 through 7. And then verse 13, we'll come back to later tonight. Romans 15, verses 4 through 7. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of what? The scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement Grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. The scriptures, which have been God-breathed and are useful for training and righteousness, have been written for our endurance and our encouragement. And God is called the God of what? According to this. Look at verse uh, 5. May the God of what? Endurance and what? Encouragement. We've had this wrong misconception that God has given birth to us 
And now we're to try to live for him as best we can. And he's up there with his arms crossed, seeing how well we're doing. And when we get to heaven, he'll tell us if we did good or bad. No. In John chapter 14, verse uh, 18, Jesus says, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm not going to give birth to you spiritually and then leave you without parents. That's what an orphan is. Someone that had been given birth to and then nobody parented them. I'm not going to do that. In first chapter 15, verse 5, he says something we all can quote. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And therefore, he said, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to come to you. I'm going to come live within you. I'm going to lead you. I'm going to guide you. I'm going to train you. I'm going to teach you. And he's daily wanting to give us endurance and give us encouragement. And how is he going to do it? I already told you, through the word and through other believers. Now, this is important. You have to have endurance and encouragement in order to be an encouragement to anybody around you. Correct? That's why in James chapter 5, verses 7 through 12, it talks about being patient until the coming of the Lord. And he says this, establish your own heart. I can't encourage you if I'm not encouraged. And I need to feed on the word so I can help you. And you need to feed on the word so you can help me. Because there's going to be days we all go up and down in it. That's very natural. But at the same time, the word is the only thing that's really going to take root in our hearts and have us grow in our faith and in our love for each other. I'm going to jump to verse 13. But I have to read verse 4 again to set the stage for it. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through the endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have what? Hope. Now look at verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in what? In believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. You want to have hope in these days? You need to have other people around you that are reminding you of the truth of God's word and encouraging you in that. Now, I'm going to share honestly with you something that happened yesterday. I was driving down a street. There's a street in my neighborhood that's blocked right now and you have to detour to get to our house. And as I was driving down the street that I don't always drive down, I saw a lady who's a believer. She's actually a pastor's wife and we've known her for a long, long time. She's in her driveway talking to another lady from her church. So as I drove down, I slowed down, rolled the window down. They looked over and she goes, hey, Jim. She goes, congratulations on the wedding. Are you excited? Because she knew that our daughter's getting married Saturday and I'm doing it. But you know what my response was? I said to her, let the chaos begin. It wasn't very positive. It was kind of negative. But her response was, she raised her hand. She said, praise Jesus. He's already got control of it all. And I sat there and I thought, she should have the reverend in front of her name, not me. Now, theologically, that's not correct. But what I'm saying is this, is what I'm saying, though, is this. I was reminded of the fact that I was focusing on all the chaos that is happening because of all the people that are coming in in our house. You should see our house. And my wife is right now baking cakes for the wedding, which my daughter could have bought. But my wife, she made a comment that my wife says, I want mama's cake. So my wife has just been at an industrial kitchen today making all these cakes for the, for the reception because my daughter said my mama makes the best cakes. And so we had to even jump through added hoops with the venue. And now we had to change the, 
the, uh, uh, the contract and the insurance because we're bringing outside folks. Let me just tell you, I started getting focused on all of that. But I had a sister in Christ who said, put your eyes back where they belong. We need the endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures and each other. I'm not always negative. A few day, uh, weeks ago, I mean, for months and months, I've been actually being used of God to encourage some ladies who work at a Circle K. They manage a Circle K not far from my house, and I go there every day at least once because I love my Diet Coke, and I drink a lot of it. And I've been witnessing to the management of these ladies, these ladies who are in management for a while, and one of them just within the last three weeks, agreed to come to church with me, and she brought her daughter, and they came to church with us. It was awesome. I go into the store on Monday, and she's not there, and she's always there. And I said to the other lady, who I know, where is she? She said her husband died last night. Now, I knew that he had been having some health issues and all that, but they're very young. And I said, I, she may not let me, but could, I know you have her cell phone number. Is there any way you could find out from her if I could have her cell phone number so I could contact her? She said, give me your cell phone number, and I'll text her. And if she said yes, I'll text you and give you her number. I said, that's great. So I did. I don't even get finally even buckled in my car in the parking lot and she comes running out. She's already said, yes, here's her number. And then this lady said, and can you put my name in your phone too? <laughs> Folks, let me just tell you, we're living in a day, and this is what you were talking about earlier, in which everybody's getting discouraged. That's why people are lashing out. That's why people are doing the things they're doing. That's why suicides are increasing. Oh, and by the way, you know back in the biblical times when the demons were active even more, and they're going to be, by the way, the Bible says, demon activity is going to increase. Demons were having people kill themselves, throwing them into the fire, throwing them into the water. We're living in a time in which the world needs to be encouraged. We don't encourage them with anything but the word of God and the love of God. And the only way you can encourage others and is to be encouraged yourself. So I'm going to encourage, ask you as well, um, are you growing in your faith in the Lord during these times or just hanging on? Are you spending more time in the word because we need it? More time with each other outside just of having a church service or a Bible study where we all sit facing the same direction, actually encouraging one another. And the Bible says we do this all the more as we say the day approaching. Go to Galatians chapter 6. Look at verses 9 and 10. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, as God gives us opportunities, like I've just shared a few, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Go to Hebrews chapter 10. Look at verses 32 through 39. 
Hebrews 10, 32 through 39. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward. For you have need of what? Of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised for yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we're not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Has anybody started to notice yet that the scriptures are full of the fact that it says don't grow weary, you need endurance, you need to keep going, and we need each other? Oh, and don't lose sight of Romans 15, verse 5. May the God of endurance and encouragement encourage you and challenge you and help you. Why? Because God's not up there saying, well, we'll see how they do. God is within you wanting to encourage you and to challenge you and to excite you about what is to come and give you the ability to go through whatever it is and keep moving forward in faith. And he's going to use the word of God. And he's going to use other people. The two men on the road to Emmaus, they were discouraged, were they not? I mean, they thought he was the one. I mean, they were part of that group of believers. They were in the upper room when the women went and checked the tomb and came back and said they saw angels and couldn't find his body. They were there when Peter and John raced each other to the tomb and came back and said it was empty. Yet we're not so sure. And they kind of scuffed their feet, put their head down and started walking back to Emmaus. And who chased them down? By the way, does anybody remember what just happened with Jesus that morning? I mean, he just rose from the dead. And he first appears, according to the scriptures, to Peter. And then he goes out of his way to chase down these two guys that were discouraged. And what did he do to encourage them? Did he take the hood off? And say, it's me. You got it. He taught them the scriptures. He reminded them of the word of God. And that's all we can do. Don't, don't be thinking, hey, just buck up. No, no, no. Encourage each other with what the word has said and how if we're faithful, he will, we will reap if we don't go weary. And, then, and I know you're getting discouraged. And you know what? Let me help you with your discouragement. You're not the only one. Those guys on the road to Emmaus and Jesus chased them. And on top of that, I think there was a guy named John the Baptist. Didn't he get a little discouraged? I mean, folks, let's be honest. If John the Baptist can get discouraged... We shouldn't beat ourselves up if we get a little weary in these days. You're going to, but you don't stay there. Well, you will if you isolate yourself and shrink back. Find opportunities to spend time with other believers, not just at church, where everybody sings a few songs, hears a message, puts some money in a plate and goes home. Go eat in each other's homes. Go spend time together. Chase a golf ball together. Bowl, whatever it is you like to do. Go spend time together. And when you do, keep reminding each other about who God is and what he said. We need each other. And as you have opportunity, go ahead, James. I was going to say, it's encouraging that the encouragement he gave them was from the Old Testament. Yes. So we now have a better covenant and a better promise. Yes, we, exactly. And, and, and here's the cool thing. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 6. Jesus, when John says, are you the one? Should we look for another? I mean, think about that for a second. If anybody knew who Jesus was, 
It was John the Baptist. I mean, he was relative. He had, the, he had the spirit within him, jumped when he was in his mother's womb. When Mary came, he was the one that the Holy Spirit said, the one you see the Holy Spirit come down on, that's the one, baptized him. He's the one who said, that's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, said it twice. He was the one who said, he must increase and I must decrease. I'm not even worthy to untie his shoes. But Jesus wasn't doing things the way John thought he would. And I guarantee every one of us have had Jesus not do things the way we thought he would in these days we live in. And he's going to keep doing it because his ways aren't our ways. And John says, I don't know if you're the one. Are you the one or should we look for another? But actually, he didn't ask it personally. He did, but he sent his disciples to ask Jesus. And in the context of the scripture, Jesus was standing in front of a group of people teaching when John the Baptist's disciples came up and in front of the crowd asked Jesus this question. So now John looks wishy-washy in front of the crowd. Jesus gives them scripture, tells them, you go back and tell John. And he gives them Old Testament prophecies from Isaiah. Pretty much he says everything's right on schedule. I'm fulfilling the prophecies. But then Jesus turns to the crowd and he says, what did you guys go out in the wilderness to see? I know that John kind of looked wishy-washy to you right now. Did you go out to see a reed swayed by the wind or did you go out in the wilderness to see a prophet? And I'm telling you, you not only saw a prophet, you, let me say this, of men born of women, none have has risen greater than John the Baptist. When John said the lowest thing about Jesus, Jesus said the greatest thing he ever said about John. He's the God of endurance and encouragement. Don't sulk. Go to him and say, Lord, I'm tired. Lord, I'm weary. Lord, I want out of here. But you have chosen to leave me here and you have a reason and a purpose. And whatever that is, though, I'm going to need a supercharge. I'm going to need a boost. And the, your word says it only comes from you. And Lord, there's people around me that could sure use a boost and you may want to use me, but I can't boost them until I got the charge myself because I can't give you a jump if my battery's dead. The word, the word, the word. I don't care how you get it in. Listen to it. Read it. Listen to it in song. Let the word dwell in you richly and encourage you. Now, we're not going to spend any time on this. We've dealt with it enough. But there are those among us who will fall away because of the difficulty of faith in this life and the constant pull of the world. I'm just going to say to you, don't be one of them. But look at verse 5. We're going to pull out one more thing in the time we have left. 2 Thessalonians 1 verse 5. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you're also suffering. But we've kind of touched on already, if we are children of God, we will suffer. So the suffering is tied to the fact that he's shaping us and where his children in the world hates him. It's all tied together. Let, let me just say something to you real quick. This is, a, this is not tied to this. It's kind of, but it's free. Let me just add this to you. Whatever assignment God gives you, and whatever episode in your life he's putting you through, whether it's just something you're going to go through or whether it's an assignment he gives you, its sole purpose is to grow you in your faith in him. Does he need you to get the assignment done? No, Acts 17, 25. He's not served by human hands if he need anything. He's not up there going, well, if they don't do it, it won't get done. No, he, if he gives you an assignment, he's going to use the assignment even to shape you.
And whatever else, it may not be an assignment as much as it may just be a part of following Jesus and this discipline that we go through because he loves us. It's all to shape us. Now, with that in mind, he said that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God. Now, when we see someone as worthy, we tend to look at that person, not the one who makes them worthy. I'm going to ask you an honest question. On your own, by your own strength, by however good you live, are you worthy of the kingdom of God? Then how can we be declared worthy if we're not worthy? Well, the answer is in verses 11 and 12. Look at verses 11 and 12 of 2 Thessalonians 1. To this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, don't miss this. It's not only God who makes us worthy. It's God who also, by making us worthy, wants to empower us for every good purpose he has and all the work he wants to do for us so that he'll get the glory. But he wants to be the one who does it. So I'm going to ask you a question. And I've asked myself this question a lot. And I don't like my answers always this, uh, as well. Are you willing to say to the Lord, whatever you want to do through me, go ahead and do it. And at the same time, whatever you have to do to me in order to do that through me, go ahead. Now, I'll be honest with you. That should be our attitude. But what happens when we say, God, whatever you want to do through me, go ahead and do it. We're kind of OK in asking that. But then when that other part comes in and whatever it is you have to do to me in order to make it possible to do it through me, go ahead and do that, too. That's where we get scared, because what if he takes a limb? What if he makes us walk with a limp? What if he makes us sick? What if he makes us lose a loved one? A Job lookalike for his purposes. We would love the idea of being used by God, but are we willing to let God get us usable? And sometimes that requires the deadening of our flesh. And we don't want that. Lord, I want to be as tested as gold, but could you use the heat you use for silver? <laughs> Abraham, I've got a big plan for your life, but... You're going to go through a lot of trials before my plan is accomplished. Actually, 25 years plus. Joseph, man, I got a mighty plan for you. I'm going to use you to save your nation, to keep them alive. And on top of that, your family is all going to bow down to you. But that's going to be 20 years from now. Between now and then, in order for you to be the guy you need to be at that time, you're going to have to be sold into slavery and end up in a dungeon, accused of something you didn't do. We all would say, Lord, use me to save the nation. But could we skip all the other stuff? Again, I'm not expecting you to get to that point tonight. Because you know why? I'm not sure Jim Johnson's fully there either. But he's patient. And he's got a purpose and a plan. But I just want you to hear that he may make us worthy, not only of salvation, but worthy of his calling 
and fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power. Why? Not so that everybody will say, wow, look at Jim or look at you, but that he'll get the glory. Go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Look at verses 16 and 17. 2 Thessalonians 2, 16 and 17. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, may the Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Go to 1 Peter chapter 4. Look at verses 10 and 11. As each has received a gift, talking a spiritual gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God, whoever serves as the one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything you may be patted on the back, that they may give you an extra special parking space at the church, that they would put your name on a window one day with stained glass, no, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. God has not only made us worthy, he's the one who wants to make us not just worthy of salvation, but worthy of the calling that he has and every good that he has in mind and every resolve that he has for us so that he'll get the glory. So here's where I'm going to say it. I don't know if you'll hear it. If you do hear it, please hear my heart. But when you and I say, God, use me for your glory. But don't do things to me that I don't like to get me usable for your glory. We're actually saying, I don't mind you being used, but I'd like to kind of limit how much glory you get. Isn't that what we're saying? So that's what we're really saying. I've been saying it. You know, I got to be honest with you. I hope it doesn't happen. But there have been prophets who have been told, for the purposes that I have in mind, I'm going to take your wife. Isn't that what happened to Ezekiel? Because God had a purpose for Ezekiel. And at a certain point, he said, the one you love dearly, I'm going to take her home. And I'm going to use your response to this for my purposes and for my glory. And I know God's called me to a prophetic type of ministry. And I'm like, man, I want to be used. Well, what if I want to take your wife? He's not saying he will, but he'll ask me, what if I want to take you? How about silver? Now bronze is looking pretty good. But here's the good news. The one who is doing all this, loves me, and he'll wait until I'm ready. He'll wait until I'm ready. He won't put me through it if I'm not ready. Just like you as a loving parent would not put your kid through something they weren't ready for. Now, they may not think they're ready, but when they actually, when you push them out and you're taking the training wheels off and they're like, no, I want the training wheels. And you have taken them off and you shove them down the road. They're going to go, 
I guess I am ready. And your loving father will not ask of anything of you that he doesn't know that you're ready for. So trust him a little bit more today and grow in your faith and let it splash out on the people around you. It's interesting. There's two passages in the Gospels where one, Jesus says, um, when we get to heaven, he's going to dress himself as a servant. He's going to have us sit and he's going to dress himself and he's going to reward us. Yet in chapter 17 of Luke, he says this, when your servant comes in from working in the field, do you say to them, have a seat and I'll make you a meal? Or do you say to them, dress yourself to serve me, fix my meal first and then you can eat? And then when the servant does it, does the master thank the servant? And he said, so too you should have the attitude. We're only unworthy servants. We've only done what he's asked us. So I'm going to encourage you in this life, don't seek the reward and the glory or the pat on the back or whether not anybody noticed. And be willing to say, Lord, whatever it is you've asked of me, it's just what you've asked of me. I'm an unworthy servant, but you've made me worthy. Not only to be saved, you made me worthy of whatever it is, this calling that you've put me in, that you've called to put on my life. One day, though, you said that you would reward, and I want to wait until then. I love you guys. We'll see you next week. Thanks for coming.